let's have a look at two examples in Scripture to highlight this particular truth to us as well. And we'll look at the first example is uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. So in what we're looking at here in these two examples is we're looking at two different levels of faith and how did they receive. And so we're looking at uh, Mark 5, 22 to 23. The scripture says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, talking about Jesus, he fell at his feet. And begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. And so Jairus was fully convinced in his mind that if he could get the Lord Jesus to come to his home and physically lay his hands on his daughter, his daughter would be healed. That's where his faith level was. He, that's what he was fully convinced about in his mind. And so in order for his, his faith to be activated, he needed to see Jesus come and physically lay hands on his daughter because he was convinced that if Jesus would do that, then his daughter would be healed. And so that's where his faith was. Had Jesus said to him at that time, go your way, your daughter's healed, nothing would have happened. Why? Because Jairus couldn't attach his faith to that. He needed to see Jesus physically lay his hands on his daughter. And when Jesus did that, that's when he believed uh, his daughter would be healed. If Jesus did that, that's what his faith was all, was hinged on. That's what he was fully convinced about. And so it's a very important point we need to uh, understand here. Now, Jairus got exactly what he believed. Because even though, if you go read the context of the story, his little daughter died on the, during the process, Jesus still brought her back to life. But Jairus still saw Jesus physically lay his hands on his daughter, and she was healed. She was raised from the dead and healed at the same time. And so Jairus got exactly what he believed for. Now, his prayer faith was, come lay your hands on my daughter, and she will be healed. Now we look at the other account. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 6 to 10. The scripture says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. And so here we have the centurion's faith. He's at a different level of faith because he, Jesus is actually on his way. There was a bit of a misunderstanding. The centurion sent the uh, Jewish elders to ask the Lord to come and heal his uh, servant. The Lord said, okay, I'll go. And so he's on his way to come and heal the servant. Now the centurion actually didn't make himself clear to the elders because he didn't want Jesus to come to the home because he didn't think he was worthy for Jesus to enter into his home. But his faith, all he needed to hear was Jesus say the word. 
that your servants healed. And that was it. The centurion was fully convinced that if Jesus would just say that word, well, then his servant would be healed. And so he clarifies it with the Lord on his way. He says, no, no, Lord, you don't need to come to my home. I just need you to say the word. Because then he explained why. Because he says, I'm under authority. I understand how this concept works. Jesus said, that's great faith. And so Jesus obviously speaks healing to his, his servant because they go back and the servant's healed straight away. So what is the difference between what the two people received, Jairus and the centurion? Both of them received healing from the Lord for the people that they prayed for. Jairus received his daughter's healing and the centurion received his, centur uh, his, his servant's healing. Both received the, the same thing from God. It is in the mechanism that they were prepared to believe through that was different, different between the two. Jairus needed to see Jesus physically lay hands on his daughter. His faith could be released when he saw that. That's what he was fully convinced about. The centurion only needed to hear the word of the Lord, and then he could release his faith, and his, his servant would be healed. And so that was the difference between the two. And so that's why... We, as I say, we need to recognize where our level of faith is and pray according to that. So for Jairus to say to the Lord, you just need to say the word and my daughter will be healed, he would have got her healed. nothing would have happened because Jairus, well, his faith wasn't in that. He was fully convinced that Jesus actually had to physically touch his daughter. Then she would be healed. Whereas the centurion was at, at a different level. He just needed Jesus to speak the word. And then his servant would be healed. And so as I say, when we pray this prayer of faith, we need to make sure we're walking in love. And then we need to recognize where we are in our level of faith. And what we're fully convinced about um, that God can do, that's what God will do. And so we're not to try and copy other people if we're not fully convinced in those areas. Rather, stay in the, uh, your area that you're comfortable with and pray along that line. I trust that you can see the difference uh, between the two. Uh, I'm just giving the examples to try and illustrate that there are differing levels of faith and we have to pray at our own level and not try and uh, copy other people. And then we want to look at the fact that doubt actually receives nothing. And so there is such a thing as the prayer of doubt. Let's have a look at James chapter 1, verse 5 and 8. The scripture says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And forget we saw that prayer of faith. Uh, the person will be healed. And so this was the same thing. In verse 6 he says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Why? For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man excuse me, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so when we pray in doubt, then we can be fully assured, just like the prayer of faith, we can be fully assured we will receive from God. When we pray the prayer of doubt, we can be fully assured we will not receive from God. Nothing is forthcoming to the one who prays in doubt. And so, you know, rather just not pray. If, if we're going to pray in doubt, then you, you're just wasting your time uh, getting on your knees and praying to God because you're not going to get anything from Him. So, if you're in doubt in any way, don't pray. 
Um, because why? You're not going to get anything. So you're just wasting your time. You, your time would be better spent doing something else because otherwise it's just a complete waste of time. And so there is such a thing as the prayer of doubt. Kind of a weird statement to make, but that's what we see in Scripture. Now there are two main areas that people doubt when they pray to God. The one area is they doubt whether they are praying according to the will of God for their lives. And so there's the element of doubt there. And then the second area of doubt is when the person actually doubts whether God is able to perform that which he has said in his word. Let's look at the first area um, regarding the area of doubt. This is the one that is more, the most common in, in the church. Um, is that Christians pray and they don't really know whether it is the will of God to answer their prayer or not. And so because they have, they're in two minds about whether God will actually answer their prayer, well, that is actually doubt. And as I say, it's the most common form of doubt in the church. And we, you, the Christian needs to eradicate that before they can pray the prayer of faith. So let's have a look at some scripture along this line again. Uh, Romans 14, 1 to 23. Again, we've dealt with part of it. We'll look at it again. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one, he, one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So, in this passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is just teaching us about the fact that we do all walk at differing levels of faith. And so one Christian believes he can only eat vegetables, another Christian believes he can eat all things. One Christian observes specific days in the calendar, another Christian observes every day to the Lord. And so different levels of faith. Then he goes on to say, with regards to the, and he talks about now, the, he brings him back to the, the example of eating. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he doesn't eat from faith. So he's talking about the Christian who believes he can only eat vegetables. But now that Christian sees, they're both, again, let's go back into the example, given they're both Jewish believers in the church of Rome. And the one Jewish believer now is no longer eating only kosher, he's now eating all things, because the Lord has convinced him that under the new covenant he can. Whereas the, the other Jewish believer still believes in the law, he has to eat kosher. Now he sees his fellow believer, Jewish, and it could also be Gentile, eating all things. And so he thinks to himself, all right, I'll try it. Now when he does that, and he goes and he eats all that food, let's say it's a pork chop for argument's sake, and he eats that pork chop, he's not in the same place as the other believer who's fully convinced in his mind that it's, that it's fine. He can't eat the pork chop. He's still in two minds about the issue. He's still not fully convinced. He still thinks he actually should be eating kosher. I'll, I'll eat this pork chop, but I don't think I should be doing it. Now, because he does that, what he's done is he stepped outside of faith into doubt, and the Bible actually says he sins. And so, that's now in this example explaining 
how Christians must stay walking in their own level of faith until God can persuade us and fully convince us in our minds that we can walk in this other area well then we rather stay in our area and let God convince us through the word of God so that's how God's counsel is to us because for me to step from uh, eating vegetables and trying out pork I'm now I've stepped outside of faith into doubt and God says don't do that because now you stepped into sin now we bring that concept over into our prayer lines and we if we pray um, along the line let's, let's go back to the example I gave about the, the prayer of the one believing that a doctor will can uh, they, through the intervention of medical treatment they can get healed and they see another one testifying well the elders laid hands on me and I got healed they think to themselves well, if they can do it, so can I, so I'll try that. Well, they're not fully convinced in their minds that they'll receive from God through that method. They're trying it out. There's no faith there. It's, it's pretty much linked to doubt, just like the guy with the vegetables and the, the pork chop. And so their prayer, when they go and the elders lay hands on them, nothing will happen because they're... they're Basically, almost praying out of curiosity. Let's see if it'll work for me. It'll work for him. Maybe it'll work for me. No, it won't. Because you're not fully convinced that when the elders lay hands on you, you will be healed. You're still fully convinced. You are fully convinced that if you go to the doctor, you get healed. But this other method, I'm going to try and see if it'll work. Well, it won't work. Because there's no, you're not fully convinced. There's no faith there. You've actually stepped out of faith into doubt. And God says you're actually stepped into sin. So don't do that. And so that's where we need to understand about, uh, the, with regard to the prayer faith, we need to be fully convinced in our minds that what we're praying about, God will answer me in that area. Don't try pray outside of your level of faith. We've really dealt with that. And so, because we're dealing with now, is it the will of God? So, the, you know, the guy said, is it God's will to heal me through this method? I don't know, but I need to try. Don't, it won't work. What about Luke 5? verse 12 to 13, because a lot of people put this particular point up, because we're dealing with, is it God's will to heal me? So if you're not Christians, they question that. Is it God's will to heal me? You know, maybe it's not God's will. Maybe He wants me to go through this sickness. And so there's no prayer of faith there. And they look at this passage of Scripture, and the Scripture says, And it happened, as He was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and he implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he, talking about Jesus, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And so Christians say, you see, the leper prayed like that. Because it is, you cannot pray the prayer of faith and attach this statement to it, if it be your will. And a lot of Christians do that. When they pray, and they think they're praying the prayer of faith, they add into their prayer, if it be your will, Lord. So, Lord, will you heal me if it is your will? And they think that's the prayer of faith. Now, the prayer of hope does pray, Lord, if it be your will. Why is that? Because the prayer of hope is prayed where the express will of God is not known in the situation. And we're not touching on the prayer of hope today, but that's really the concept around the prayer of hope. 
we do not know what God's will is regarding the situation. And so it is very scriptural for us at that time to then pray, Lord, if it be your will, can you do this? Why do we pray it like that? Because we don't know what his will is. Now, when Christians, very, now they think they're praying the prayer of faith, and let's say they're praying for healing. And so they pray, Lord, if it is your will, please heal me, or please heal so and so. Now the moment they say, if it be your will, well they're not praying the prayer of faith anymore. Now they've stepped over and they're starting to pray the prayer of hope. Now, it's actually a prayer of doubt. I'll say, why is it a prayer of doubt? Well, where the express will of God is known to us as a church, then we cannot go to God and say, if it be your will. Why? Because God has already told us what His will is. And so for us to now say to God, if it is your will, do what you said you would do, is kind of almost accusing God of lying. Because He said, I will do this. And we say, well, will you do this if it's your will? And he goes saying to himself, wait a minute, I just told you it's my will. Now you're saying, if it's my will, you're actually outside of faith. You don't, you don't believe this. And so no, no answer is forthcoming. And so in this example here, the leper was fully convinced in his mind that Jesus could heal him. He had no doubt that if uh, Jesus was to lay hands on him, he could be healed. What he was not fully convinced about was whether Jesus would heal him. In other words, whether it was the Lord's will. That's why he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he's fully convinced Jesus could do it. He's just not convinced that Jesus is willing to do it. What is Jesus' reply? Jesus said, I am willing. And then he lays hands on him. And he said, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy left him. And so we don't pray, Lord, if it's your will. Why? Because Jesus has already made his will known to us on the subject. Because God is no respecter of persons. And so if he is willing to heal the leper, he's willing to heal all of his children. He's not selective on the issue. And so for us to say, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. The Lord's not going to heal us. Because why? He's already told us he is willing. And for us to say, if it be your will, heal me. Well, and the Lord's saying, well, now you're in doubt. You're not believing what I've already said on the subject. And so when the express will of God is made known to us, we cannot attach the statement, Lord, if it be your will. Because that's now outside of the prayer of faith, and we've moved into really the prayer of doubt. Where the express will of God is known. Where the express will of God is not known, then it is very scriptural for us to pray, Lord, if it be your will. And that's the prayer of hope. The other area where doubt manifests itself in the prayer life of Christians is they actually doubt that God's able to do that which, which He said. So they know what God says about the subject, but they actually don't believe He can really do it. And let's look at the Old Testament to give us some examples along this line. Psalm 78, 19-42. Scripture says, Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? So they're questioning God's ability here. Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? And so they, they, you know, they're questioning God's ability here. And so it's not pleasing to God. It is full of doubt. 
can he provide meat for his people? They're almost like, you know, teasing God, but they really um, are provoking the Lord. Therefore, the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. And so the children of Israel had been exposed to tremendous power of God made manifest right before their very eyes. They saw all of the plagues come on the Egyptians, how God protected them from those plagues. They then uh, went through the Red Sea, the whole sea divided before them, and they went through a dry land, and then Pharaoh and his army came after them, and God um, caused the sea to swallow them up, and they were all drowned. And, so they, and they saw this uh, pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, always in, in, in their midst. So they saw tremendous power of God, and yet they still questioned his ability. You know, can God feed us in the wilderness? Can he give us meat? And so they were questioning the ability of God. That's the word, that's it. You can say it's a prayer because they were asking for it. They wanted meat, they wanted bread, but they were kind of tempting God and complaining at the same time. And so it was more of a prayer of complaint than a prayer at all, so to speak. But nevertheless, that's the kind of prayer that was being offered. Now that prayer will definitely go unanswered. And so as believers, we're not to go down that road because we're called believers. Look at a, another passage of Scripture in the New Testament which gives us a little bit more insight around this area of doubt. Mark 6, verse 5 to 6. Scripture says, Now he, talking about Jesus, could do no mighty work there. Why? Except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And so this is an account of our Lord Jesus going to his hometown of Nazareth. And he preaches to them. He preaches from uh, the prophet Isaiah. And in a nutshell, our Lord is preaching about the fact that the Lord, God has anointed him to heal the sick. And at the end of his prayer, I'm sorry, his preaching, he calls up, he invites people to come up for prayer. And he's going to lay hands on them so that they can be healed. He's been doing that throughout Galilee and in Jerusalem. And Nazareth has got to hear, hear about that. And so, you know, they, he, Jesus is now going to do what he's been doing in all the synagogues wherever he's gone. And wherever he goes, he has success. People come up, he lays hands on them, they get healed. He invites people to come forward after he's preached to them that God's anointed them to heal the sick. He says, guys, I'm anointed by God. So if you come up, I'll lay hands on you and you will be healed. The guys come up to lay hands on him, and for him to lay hands on them, sorry, and nothing happens. The Bible says he could do no mighty work there. So the fact that he couldn't do a mighty work is means that the blind guy came up, and Jesus laid hands on him, and nothing happened. The deaf person came up, Jesus laid hands on him, and nothing happened. The crippled person came up, Jesus laid hands on him, and nothing happened. He says it is uh, a few sick people, and uh, that translated means sick, as people with minor ailments. So, you know, they didn't have very much wrong with them. Might have had a bit of flu or something like that. Jesus laid hands on them, they were healed. Now, why couldn't they be healed? The scripture says because of their unbelief. So, it was 
just like the children of Israel, they were limiting Jesus. The children of Israel limited the, the God of, of, of Israel because they just wouldn't believe him. That he was able to do what he said he could do. And so Jesus said, I can heal you guys. If you come forward, I've got, I'm anointed by God to heal the sick. If you come forward, I'll lay hands on you. And he probably told them, you know, we were in Capernaum yesterday, and there was this crippled guy, and God healed him. I laid hands on him, and he's walking around today. They came forward out of curiosity, really. Um, well, let's see if this guy can do what he says he can do. Because they didn't believe him, because they grew up with him. So they, you know, they were quite offended with him, really. And so they received nothing. They hindered him because they, they actually, coming up for prayer was like a praying a prayer of unbelief. They came forward, they let Jesus put his hands on them, and nothing happened. Why? Because they didn't believe he was able to do what he said he could do. He said, I can heal you if you come forward, I'll lay hands on you. They didn't believe it, but they thought, well, here we go. Let's see what happens. I mean, I grew up with this guy, but let me go see what happens. They went forward and nothing happened. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. And so those are the two areas where the prayer of doubt is, is made manifest. When the, the Christian prays not knowing the will of God in the situation, not fully convinced that it's God's will to heal them for argument's sake. Or when the Christian actually just doubts God's ability to do this. You know, I know what the word of God says, but I really don't believe God can actually do this. But I'll go forward for prayer anyway. Well, that's not a prayer of faith, it's a prayer of doubt. And no answer will be forthcoming in that situation. And so that's where we want to, uh, touch, those are the topics we want to touch on today. We're going to carry on uh, in the next teaching because we want to just look at the, the things we need to take care of before we pray the prayer of faith. So we need to be making sure that we're walking in love. We need to be making sure that we're not praying the prayer of doubt. In other words, we must be convinced in our minds about what we're praying about, uh, that it's the will of God and God's able to answer that prayer. And then we must be praying according to uh, our level of faith. We're not, it's not called the prayer of great faith, it's called the prayer of faith. And so we must always pray according to the level of our faith and the level of